Good morning, everybody. Good morning to everybody out in internet land. This is supposed to be a short sermon today, but I think we're going to call it a split sermon because I think when you look at the notes, I've got probably one more scripture than Barry has for the long sermon. <laughs> we'll see how this works out, right? Yeah, here we go. Well, <clears throat> with Passover just around the corner, we all recognize it's a time for reflection, a time for looking at the past year and seeing possibly where we've, we failed a little bit and maybe reconnecting ourselves to God. It's a self-examination, and it's a, that's a key component prior to taking part of the covenant meal or the Passover, whatever you want to use as a nomenclature for that. Well, part of the reason for the self-examination is to establish a recommitment, as I said, or a rededication to our faith, a renewal to our faith. It's a time that we rethink our role in God's kingdom and His work and rededicate our efforts toward back toward that, and and you know, and 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 make that reconnection. And we also do this because the months leading up to Passover prior to spring is a time when many of God's people are simply trying to, to just survive and reconnect with God and get prepared for those days of unleavened bread and the Passover and things like that. And, you know, and, and those months prior to that may have been a time of disgruntlement for a lot of people or where they become more involved in life instead of, you know, thinking about God and thinking about church and stuff. Those holy days tend to bring us back and recenter us and refocus us. And, and you know, and it may be because of a lack of commitment or one might have been drawn back into the world just a little bit. Who knows what the reasonings are? We don't. That's all always personal. But we are told we are to examine ourselves to see if we are worthy coming up in Passover. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 13.5. <clears throat> it says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Well, apparently there's a test that we can fail right here is part of the, his his wording in this and some so some might question there or ask themselves have i glorified god or have i failed in my struggle in revelations 1 verses 5 through 6 it says and from jesus christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the king of earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom priest uh, to his God, and to him be the glory and dominion forever. Now, we look at this, and, and when we read this, you know what, I, I think I stuck the wrong scripture in there. Oh, I, it flipped over. I'm sorry. I printed both sides of the paper. Nick's that last one. <laughs> anyway, it says, you might be asking yourself, has my faith been tested for the good or has it been exposed at areas I need to work on this, this coming year? God knows that some folks have been tested in many ways and, and perhaps it strained their faith just a little bit over the past few years as, as we look at that. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, 10, I, I should say, 
It says that no temptation has, has overtaken you except something common to mankind. And God is faithful, so he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with a temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So <clears throat> we see that, that he says that we can endure it. We can, there is a way that he makes that we can make that reconnection back to him. And, and personally, I think that has to do with Passover and his holy days. But enduring test if we want to call them tests, God's tests, uh, of any sort are usually very involved, and especially with God. God's tests are often more complex and more than just simply challenging. And I think about how and why God pressures His holy people in such a way and why He puts us through these tests in, in, in one fashion or another. And I fall back to the words of the Scripture where it tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 through 3, he says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and define them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in the righteousness to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of things to look at in this verse. For one, it says the sons of Levi. And so you ask yourself, well, who are the sons of Levi today? Well, because he was talking about the Levitical priesthood back then, and, we, and since the, the fall of the temple in, in around 70 AD, there hasn't been a, a priesthood since then. So who is he talking about today? In my humble opinion, it has to be God's people. And I, and I say this because of what the Apostle John said in the first chapter of Revelation, uh, which we go back to Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the, of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from, from our sins by his blood, and he made us into a kingdom of priests to his his God and Father, and to Him the glory and dominion forever and ever. <clears throat> so we see that that His people, His glorified people, are called a kingdom of priests. Well, that's not by accident. He He sees us that way. He sees His people that way. So since only the sons of Levi could be part of the priesthood back then, in those days when Malachi wrote that scripture, then we and we go forward to this time, which is often to the future. We have to see that there's a connection. Well, it's God's chosen people, and the sons of Levi were the only ones of authority that could occupy the temple of God during that time, and and that is true now. Believe it or not, but where is God's temple today? First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Well, the only place the Spirit of God can dwell is in the temple. I mean, it can dwell everywhere, but where it dwelt was in the temple. And so here, if we are the temple of God today, we are the priest in His temple, then the Spirit dwells with us. And God's people, they're the only ones qualified to say that they are priests in God's holy temple. 
Uh, I hope you realize that. Well, number two in Malachi 3, we are told that our Creator is like a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire is a process of separating impurities from one element and from another. And whenever we look at that in a person, it's the process of, of refining that person to where he separates the impurities from that person. Now, that can't happen without intense heat. Heat in the form of pressures and struggles and overcoming this world is how we look at it metaphorically as far as God's people are concerned. And these are the elements of God's refining process, good or bad, that's how he does it. And a refiner's fire purifies whenever it comes to precious metals like silver and gold by putting them into intense fire to melt down all the base metals to where that can be skimmed off and, and the draught is what it's called, and, and uh, disregarded. Now, it's a, like I said, it's a process requiring repeatedly thrusting that element into the fire until it becomes as pure as it possibly can. Now, our Father is intent upon our purification. And he will refine his people by testing them as often as he feels needed to get us as close to the kingdom as he can. Or get us in the kingdom, I should say. Otherwise, he'll just disregard us for something else that he can work with or someone else that he can work with. Well, that's the refiner's fire. Let's look at what he says about the fuller. He talks about the fuller's soap. A fuller's job was to cleanse and whiten cloth, especially wool. In Jerusalem, the cleansing process took place in a fuller's field outside the city because it smelled bad. I mean, real bad. The process was really bad. I could go into something, but I'll leave that for another time. But... Dirt and oils were removed from the wool in a process to make it as white as it possibly become white on its, naturally. Then, then they would oftentimes color it to bring out, the, uh, bring out different colors in it. And it was a, the, the process that they used was a closely regarded recipe or secret for the soap that they used, comprising of alkaline, sodium carbonate, or potassium carbonate based. Now, these combined chemicals remove the oil and dirt that cling to all these, these, these cloths. And combined with the oil, they would combine with the oil molecules, and they would make the molecules, the dirt molecules, soluble to where they would wash out, to where they could just remove them out of there. Now, think of these trials that one goes through and how God's Word and stuff, it melts the impurities in a person and where those can be washed out of a person to where they can be cleansed out of it. It's a, it's a metaphor, I get that. But it works in the same fashion. Otherwise, Malachi wouldn't have used it as an example otherwise. But the cleaning process slowly melts away the sin that we struggle to overcome in our lives. God's constant cleaning process. 
Now, there was another element to this. The fullers also beat and stamped out the cloth to further remove embedded impurities. And the Hebrew word for fuller comes from the root meaning to tread. So oftentimes, it, it, it took a lot of beating. It took a lot of effort to get that material white and cleansed. And we can look back and how that works in our lives. All the struggles and the hardships and things that we think we've gone through since we've been in God's church. Is God beating the impurities out of us? I mean, really, is He? Yeah, sometimes we feel like it, don't we? Sure. But add these facts to what we already understand in Scriptures and, and it begins to make sense, right? As we look at these things. So, in Psalms 51 verse 2, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So, this is, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, do what's necessary to make me white. Do what's necessary to make me cleansed. You know, get me as pure as you possibly can. And the eternal purifies us through this process in terms that we can understand. Like, like soap or, being, or white cloth or, or, or refining silver and gold till it's shiny and bright and purified. You know, Isaiah 48.10, he says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So, yeah, here we go, you know. He, he's telling us, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of hardness, a lot of tough living in order to get you to the place that you need to be with God. And we also see this in Revelation 3, 18 through 22, and he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and, and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed in the eye salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. And the one who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my father's throne, as I have also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. And the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the end product of our purification is something beautiful. It's something wonderful. It's something majestic. And it's valuable in the eyes of the Messiah and the Father. You become perfected by the process and become holy by the process. Matthew 5.48, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. The process can be harsh, it can be hard, it can be difficult, and no, one, no one's disputing that fact. A lot of people in God's church have gone through some very hard trials. I think everybody in God's church can tell you that they've gone through some hard trials at one time or another in their life. But trials of this life are not only unavoidable, but they're also worth the struggle. We have to be willing to submit at all things that we endure in this life to become like Him. Now, it's an interesting thing to note. Nothing, nothing in this world can be purified 
You realize that? You buy gold, the most pure gold you can get is 99.9999%. Same thing with silver. You cannot get 100% purity. And in human terms, only the Messiah reached that level. And that's why we, we see examples like Abraham when he was tested. And when the Messiah instructed him to sacrifice his only son, Abraham was stopped short of, of completing the act, and God made one statement after that. He said, now I know. That tiny fraction of impurity that was in, within Abraham may have created enough doubt in the mind of our Creator he felt he needed to test him. Well, here we are. Are we greater than Abraham? Do we not have impurities? Perhaps a father is questioning at his body and says, well, maybe I need to test old Randy here a little bit and see if, see if, I can, if he's going to let those impurities file, <laughs> defile him or is he going to overcome? You know, so we have that enough in us maybe to have our faith tested at times by our Creator to see if we, if we can overcome. Now remember this, if the Father is putting us such a, through such a process, He is also there with us through our trials. He's there all the time. The refiner of silver and the fuller of cloth could not set their process, processes in motion and then walk away and return later when it was finished. No, they had to sit there through the whole process and watch that refining and watch that cleansing take place. And they had an active part in every, every bit of that struggle. They had to be there every stage of the process, seeing it through to its completion. Likewise, the Lord, or the, the eternal is not distant from us when we are struggling with trials, but intimately engaged in our lives. He's right there. He sees us going through the process. He understands why we're going through that process. He may initiated the reason why we're going through that process. But there's a purpose. There's an end game. There's a reason. He wants us to become better. He wants us to become refined. He wants us to become perfect. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he says, Go, there, go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And he says, Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. He'll always be there. He'll always be through our work through, that we do for him, through our daily lives, through our struggles, through our trials, whatever they are. And sometimes our work in faith is hard. Sometimes our work in faith is a real struggle. And we begin to feel as though no one appreciates what we're doing or, no, or, 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 or what we're going through. And we also may feel as though the Father isn't there or working with us any longer. But you couldn't be farther from the truth on, in either case. People do appreciate you. People do care about where you are and what you're doing and how you're going through life. And the Father cares and He's there and He's watching. Because we're all family. Now, His hand is guiding us through every step of our struggle, through every step of our lives, in every way that He can. His eyes are upon us as a refiner of, of, all, of 
of our lives is looking upon us to see that we are going through the process in the way that he intended. He does care. And he also wants you to become the best you can be, the most precious that you can be in his sight. So don't lose heart, but prepare for the renewing of your commitments to our Savior this coming Passover.